Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome, ladies, gentlemen, fanatics of all ages, to the post-deadline episode of Philly's Therapy, where we are recording in the wake of a flurry of moves, and a flurry of good moves for a change, from your Philadelphia Phillies, this uh, strange August 2nd trade deadline. Uh, Yesterday saw a flurry of action. Did I use that term already? I think I did. It was a long day yesterday. The the Phillies were very active in addressing multiple needs for their roster. They did not stand pat. They made moves. They made additions. They made additions by subtraction. More on all that in just a second. We will go over everything all the way from the top on down and hopefully get everybody a little bit excited for these additions and what's to come uh, in the really relatively soon future because these guys are going to start contributing almost immediately. Joining me, of course, as always... As I come to you live from the eastern shore of Florida, St. Augustine, back up in Atlanta, Georgia, the Athletic Philadelphia's Matt Gell. Matt, how are you feeling after yesterday? A little tired. I'm sitting in a booth right now at Truist Park. A bunch of Phillies pitchers are throwing on the field. It's a uh, it's the morning still, but they're playing at 1220. This is a great bit of scheduling here. But uh, yeah, I assume you really want you want what you want to talk about is the uh, waiver claim of Andrew Vasquez. Yes, that is top on my list. Um, the Phillies just cannot help but get waiver bait and left-handed relief. You love to see it, uh, right along with Phillies legend Sam Clay following his footsteps. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will be the first to admit that I truly know nothing about Andrew Vasquez. No, I, of course, the obvious things need not be said, but we will say them anyway. Uh, the big moves yesterday were actually uh, a series of three acquisitions, three separate trades. So anybody who listened to our episode a week or two back heard the over-under of two and a half major league trades for the Phillies' this deadline and picked the over. Congratulations. You win nothing but pride. The three moves were, if you missed them somehow, some way, uh, happy to be sharing some positive news with you if you have. The Phillies traded catching prospect Logan Ohapi to the Angels for Brandon Marsh. They traded ascendant 33rd round starting pitcher. Well, we'll just call him pitcher right now. Ben Brown to the Cubs for David Robertson, our old friend from a couple years back. They traded former number one overall pick Mickey Moniak and low minors position player outfielder Jadiel Sanchez again to the Angels for Noah Syndergaard, former Mets great who is enjoying a, a decent season out West. And while that was one corresponding move to get the 40-man cleared, that being Mickey Moniak for Syndergaard, Odubo Herrera and Jerry Familia were designated for assignment to clear room for Brandon Marsh and David Robertson. That's a pretty busy deadline. And those are some pretty good players being added for pretty good prospects, or at the very least ones uh, fans will probably recognize. Matt, let's just go one by one here. Uh, 
and then we can we can talk about like the broader strategy and how how these sort of things fit into what the team might be looking to do for the rest of this season and on into the off season because there's there's some controllability impact here. We'll start at the top with Brandon Marsh. Logan Ohapi was um, probably the name Phillies fans recognize the most in terms of trade bait prospects. We've talked about him multiple times here on this show. We kind of figured writing was on the wall. This guy was going to get traded. He's blocked at the major league level. The Phillies have a pretty decent amount of depth at the catching position, especially in the upper minors. And it just seemed like there was no real logical fit for Logan Ohapi on this team moving forward. And so they flipped into the Angels for a 24-year-old former top 50 global prospect who has struggled in his first full season's worth of major league plate appearances, but who carries an excellent defensive reputation. That's Brandon Marsh. Uh, Not only does he carry an excellent defensive reputation, he has one of the most amazing beards I think I've ever seen. I hope he doesn't cut it. And I'm glad we're not the Yankees and glad we're not mandating a facial hair trim to get imported. But Matt, this is, this is a cash in that we kind of expected with Logan Ohapi, um, but maybe not necessarily the return we expected to be, uh, to see him used for what went into getting uh, Ohapi traded out West for uh, this controllable young uh, center fielder in Brandon Marsh. So this is what I'll say, Paul. I mean, I think they they had entertained a lot of different ideas with Ohapi, and I think the return is commensurate with uh, how the industry views him. Like, I know he was kind of uh, had, had gotten onto some top 100 prospect lists this year, but you know, I think there are some questions about you know how he profiles uh, in the bigs. You know, what if he's an everyday catcher, which I think many evaluators think he is. You know, what kind of caliber everyday catcher is he, uh, both offensively and defensively? There are some questions. And what I would say is that, like they they tried to to move Ohapi in, in in a variety of ways. You know, like he was the guy they had decided they were going to trade the biggest guy, and they had tried marketing him as a centerpiece in a package for a controllable starter, a couple different guys, and, and they were shot down on that. I mean, they were told that you know a, a controllable mid rotation type guy like Tyler Maley, for example, Jordan Montgomery, uh, you know. They were told that the, the centerpiece of that kind of deal needs to be better, you know, like Griff McGarry better. And they they weren't willing to move McGarry. They, the three guys that they were pretty steadfast about not dealing were, were Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, and Griff McGarry. And so they had tried different ideas. Like I heard some kind of wild ones where they were talking to teams about a prospect for prospect trade, you know, uh, where you take Ohapi and you move him for a prospect who is a better fit in the future for the roster. And that's kind of what they do with Marsh, although he's got 163 games in the bigs. Like they Mm -hmm. were talking to teams about guys who hadn't made major league debuts yet, you know, infield prospects, center field prospects, you know, guys who were a cow of the caliber of Ohapi, I guess, but just playing a different position. And so they, they, they were going to use this chance to, to kind of sell high, I think on Ohapi. Um, not that they don't think that he's going to be a good big league player. I think they believe that, but he just doesn't have a, he didn't have a path in this organization and this was the time to make a move there. And so Marsh is an interesting guy. Um, Phillies are obviously quite high in him, you know, given that mm-hmm. they, they moved Ohapi for him. I heard that they talked to a lot of different teams about center fielders. Like I heard, you know, take any young controllable center fielder in the major leagues right now and just assume the Phillies were on him trying to trade, Ohapi for that guy. Does that include uh, somebody like Brian Reynolds, maybe, who's making a no, bit of money? Or was this just Reynolds, younger no, guys? Uh, no, younger not guys. The Pirates are not going to move Reynolds. They had told teams they weren't going to move him. Um, 
go look at some NL West center fielders. Uh, okay. And those were some guys the Phillies had poked around on. And I don't know if there was any traction there. I just know that they had been trying to uh, pull out a young center fielder for Ohapi. They decided that was their best path. Uh, Marsh strikes out a lot. Uh, it's no secret. I mean, they, they had Kevin Long and some other hitting people look at video, do some background work, and it wasn't just yesterday. I mean, they had mm-hmm. done a, a pr- pretty decent amount of work on Marsh uh, over the last few days, from what I'm told. Uh, they think they can do some work there. I mean, he was, like you said, Paul, like a, a, a pretty big prospect. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the swing and miss is concerning, but, you know, the bar in center field isn't high. Although right. when you're trading Ohapi, which is one of your, you know, one of your better prospects, not your best, one of your better prospects, you want mm-hmm. to get something decent in return. And I think Dombrowski, Dave Dombrowski noted that, look, we only sacrificed one year of control in this trade, which I know nobody likes to hear executives talk about, you know, players in terms of years of control. But <laughs> right, right. He, he's not wrong. I mean, Marsh has got five more years of club control after this season. Ohapi yep. obviously would have six whenever he reaches the majors. Uh, so so I get the thinking there. Uh I, I think Marsh is a, a fascinating challenge for the the hitting team here. Uh, you know, if they can make this guy just a little better, uh, all of a sudden you, you've got a, a, a young everyday player kind of locked into a position on the field, which is not a bad thing for this club, uh, considering they've invested so much money uh, in left field, right field, DH, catcher, uh, you know. The, the middle infielders are going to come off the books this offseason. But, yeah, I mean, they've invested mm-hmm. quite a bit of money uh, in positions on the field. So a a controllable, young, productive, everyday center fielder, that's great. I don't know if it's going to be Marsh. Like, <laughs> I, I, the, the, the strikeout rates are uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that that's the problem. If you pull up his page and you look at some of these numbers, it, they're, they're concerning. They are definitely concerning. And I think one of the things that was coming up, uh, you know, I, I, I in my – infinite wisdom decided uh yesterday would be a good day to host a, a collaborative talk radio show type thing with a, a twitter space and i'm sorry little... i wasn't able to get on no that. no I, that's like... <laughs> I, I think everybody understood what you were up to no but that what came up with with marsh were that there were concerns there were like legit concerns like is this guy really going to be any kind of upgrade over what was shipped out which is you know, a pretty low bar, like you were saying, some of these numbers are pretty scary. You know, that strikeout rate over 36% entering today, that is, uh, that, that is not a red flag. That is, that is a purple flag. That is a deep shade of, of bad. And so you have to kind of put blind faith, I think, into what you were talking about with this, this hitting team strategy of trying to figure out what's wrong there, because I think what we're seeing with this graduation of Brandon Marsh is, is something that we've been experiencing on the Philly side with this failure to convert a top prospect from, you know, minor league prospect into successful major leaguer, especially on the offensive side. I mean, Marsh was never a big power guy in the minors. He hit 10 home runs in one professional season. Like we're not expecting this guy to be, you know, Carlos Beltran or Bernie Williams or something like that. No, but I think what you're hoping is that he's like an on-base, you know, a defensive, a, a defensive, a plus defender who gets on base. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I feel like even if all he brings is the glove, as long as the bat doesn't turn into more of a black hole or more of a vacuum than it currently is, because it's not good right now. You do not want to see it get worse. But as long as he brings the glove, you can deal with that for the rest of this season and probably the start of next season, bare minimum and then think about what else might need to be done. 
it would be nice and it is nice to have that kind of reputation now that defensive reputation in the middle of these corner outfielders because as we've been seeing the corner outfielders are bad and Bryce Harper's not going to be back out in the field this year it sure seems um we'll see you think he's going to try and get back out in the field before the season's over I do I don't okay. know if it's going to happen, but I know it's going to be, they're attempting it. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that, that'll be nice. That, that would be a bit of an upgrade over Nick Castellanos. We'll see what else happens when those other dominoes fall, but no, it's but one more, I, yeah, one more thing about Marsh. Yeah, like it's yeah, interesting Cause I've gotten, since the trade happened, I've heard from mm-hmm. um, people from other teams, like some evaluators, some okay. front office people, some scouts who actually, uh, they, they really like the trade for the Phillies. Like only because they see Marsh as a guy, I think other teams that identified him as somebody with, with certain potential for upside offensively. Okay. I think there are some things that, you know, when we think of the Phillies, we think of it, like you mentioned, a, a, an organization that struggled to get its uh, top hitting prospects from, you know, good minor league performers to consistent major league performers. I think we could say the exact same thing about the Angels organization. Like oh, Joe yeah. Dell comes to mind immediately, and there are other examples. Uh, so it's not as if they're pulling him from – an organization that has a good reputation for that, and they failed Brandon Marsh, uh, and and had a success with others. I think you're pulling him for an organization that has similar problems, to, has had similar problems to the Phillies, and and I think there are reasons to believe that uh, there there is potential for upside here. Whether the Phillies are the ones to unlock it, I I don't know, but I think it's a I think it's a decent bet. I do. And on Ohapi, uh, I guess just to close out the book on him, for those who might have been or may be disappointed that this is the return for Ohapi, who may have thought that Ohapi was better used for uh, perhaps a more impactful starting pitcher. Uh, they tried. We, well, yeah, but, but what can we say? Like, they tried. Was, it, was it a case of, was it a case of over, I hesitate to say overrating, but it was because Logan Ohapi is a legit prospect. He is a, a top 100 caliber guy. But there are flaws to his game. He is not a flawless prospect. He is not, you know, Adley Rutschman. Um, is that widespread? Did that need to be, you know, post hoc? Do we need to scale things back and say, you know, maybe we thought a little bit too highly of Ohapi and this was the kind of return he was going Probably. to fetch all along? Mm-hmm. Probably. And also the, the prices for controllable mid-rotation stars were really high. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that definitely played a role in it. Maybe in a different offseason, if there were more pitchers, decent pitchers available, maybe Ohapi as a centerpiece gets it done. I, I think that uh, the Phillies' view of Ohapi was possibly rosier than the industry's view. Uh, I, I also think the prices had a lot to do with just the way the market shaped up. So the return, I think, is uh, is about where I had it. Maybe a little, maybe a tick below, uh, but I, I think uh, I think it I think it makes sense. I do. And speaking of prospects who'd enjoyed a, a rise in their stock and uh, uh, national prestige, I guess, or at least people had started to take notice of him down in the system, Ben Brown, the former 33rd round pick, who had recently been promoted to AA Reading, was shipped out to the Chicago Cubs for old friend David Robertson, he of the seven appearance fame in 2019, after signing a two-year deal with the Phillies that he he couldn't really fulfill because of injury. And I, that was really just unfortunate. It's the one time in his career he wasn't both incredibly healthy and durable and effective. And of course, it happened squarely at the start of his time with the Phillies. But he was enjoying a really nice season with the Cubs. And in a one-for-one trade, the Phillies are like, all right, let's shore up what has emerged as our strength, get more 
resilient depth into this group and ship out a guy who's enjoyed a nice surge in value one for one and pick up David Robertson, who, while being a right-handed pitcher, is also very effective against left-handed hitters, which is is key for this bullpen, I think. Uh, How does this deal read to you? And, And how did Robertson emerge as one of their top relief targets? I mean, I think he was the best reliever who was traded yesterday. Mm. I think you could make the argument, you know, it's either him or Rysel Iglesias. Iglesias has got three more years uh, on his contract, and it's a, it's a pretty big contract that the Braves took on the whole deal. And, you know, he's good. He's having a little bit of a down year. But <laughs> I'm taking the Angels' numbers with a grain of salt. I mean, it's I think it's been relatively miserable for those guys to be playing mm-hmm. uh, in that situation. Um, and we can talk about Syndergaard in that respect in a minute. But – uh, I, I think what Robertson does, it's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, like they, uh, they are not as strong as they want to be three, four and five in the rotation. I know they upgraded there with Syndergaard, but it's, it's, it's not like, it's not a huge, huge upgrade, but what they right. did is that they can make those guys five or six inning pitchers now, if they want to the three, four mm-hmm. and five spots in rotation, because the bullpen, uh, it's not bad. It's not it's bad. Really not. I mean, and and you know now you start to look down a list, and if you start to try to, you know, I wrote it down. Actually, I'm going to get through my notes here. If you if you start to list all the relievers, all of a sudden, four, five, six. Andrew Bellotti is your sixth or seventh guy. The okay. guy who's at the very top of strikeout rates of all relievers this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you start figuring bad. out. And if you need, if you have a starter who goes five innings on back-to-back days, you, you you don't feel you feel like you have really good options in your bullpen on that second day, even if you've had to use your relievers four innings a day before. I right. I, I think I think uh, their strategy here is let's how can we we think we're going to be good in a short series, you know how can we make it even better, and and Ben Brown. A tremendous development story for them. A tremendous scouting and development story. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. You know, uh, and, and look, like this is what you do. You cash in, and we talked about this, Paul, weeks ago. I mean, Ben Brown was a guy who had trade written all over him. Yes. And, and, and yes, like, did you want to see it through and see what happens with him? No question. Um, are, are there evaluators who are who are uh, high on him as a starter in the majors? Yes. Are there evaluators who think that he more likely projects as a reliever in the majors? Yes. Uh, the metrics like him. I've talked to some guys who are hard graders who I trust their opinions, uh, evaluators from other teams. They had softened their stance a little bit on Brown. I think mo- some of the harder graders were uh, not not necessarily convinced that he could be a big league starter. They went back mm-hmm. in and saw him. They, you know, revised their grades a little bit. There, there are people who really like Ben Brown. Um, this was not nothing that they gave up. Uh, right. But I also think that when you're pulling down probably the best reliever definitely the best rental reliever who was traded at the deadline this is the kind of piece that you trade um and and robertson his stuff is back like the numbers are excellent uh Mm -hmm. his numbers on back-to-back days are excellent his numbers against lefties are excellent uh you know there's a certain trust with rob thompson and dave robertson rob had him for years in new york uh you know i also think that robertson does feel like he kind of owes it uh, I just talked to him for a little bit. I mean, I know it's kind of weird. Like it's not, you know, they paid him $23 million and it's not, it's not like his fault. He wasn't trying to get hurt, but right. I, I do think that uh, he feels like uh, he, he, he doesn't feel good about how it went. And he feels like uh, yeah, I, I, he wasn't, 
trying to direct the Cubs train to the Phillies, but I don't think he's upset about getting another chance here. I, I think I was tipped off to the idea that Robertson was really back um, or at least close to his former self when the Rays picked him up late last year, because I, I know it's kind of easy to lean back on this at this point, but that is an organization that really doesn't put a kind of commitment out there to players unless they really think they see something. They really think they understand something. Something just looks right to them. They so rarely misfire on things like this that the odds are in your favor if you think, oh, okay, they're probably onto something there. And while he didn't look incredible, he did have a really nice run coming back from what was essentially two and a half years away from major league pitching uh, and pitched some innings even in the playoffs for them. He's been then almost predictably really good in Chicago. Like you were mentioning, the walks are a little high, but I think that's just, that's kind of what you're going to get out of this Phillies bullpen as a unit right now. They're not really afraid of walking guys. They're not going to, you know, uh, they're not going to shave their stuff in order to, to try and paint or aim it a little bit more. They're just, they're, they're strikeout guys through and through, maybe with the exception of Brad hand. And that's just going to come with the territory. So be it. Uh, and I agree with you. I, I don't know if they could have done better in terms of picking out uh, a, a reliever on the market and to do it for a guy who was not in that kind of mix at all at this point last year. I, I mean, I I've liked the guy, but that was more subjective than anything else. Like I've been tracking him just out of personal favor. This has got to be a tough one for you. Yeah. A little bit, a little guy. bit, yeah. you know, but, but it's nice to see you're mentioning development it is absolutely a developmental success that they were able to trade Ben Brown for a rental reliever of David Robertson's caliber. It is this not is what, a, this is what good organizations who are trying to yes, do. Yes, exactly. It is not a loss necessarily to quote only trade him for a rental reliever. This is a really good major league reliever that they're bringing back into the fold. And they did it for somebody they picked in a round that starts with a three and has two digits. Doesn't like even that, exist anymore. <laughs> right. Like that's, that's, that's amazing as far as I'm concerned. So yes, I will miss Ben Brown. I hope he does great things with the Cubs. I am really happy that he was moved in a deal like this and that David Robertson is the guy back. I I don't want Robertson to feel like he owes anything because with injuries, you know, like you were saying, he's not trying to get hurt. He's not trying to steal money. I know some fans are like, oh, we paid him all this money. He did nothing for us. That happens. It was unfortunate. He does not owe us this. I know he's going to be good. I know he's going to be a good relief pitcher. This is not the Brandon Workman, Heath Hembry situation from a couple years ago. This is a guy who, you know, I'm really putting my mush status to the test right here, but this is not a guy who's going to implode. He's very, very good. And, and I'm he very can happy be used in a lot. Yeah. And he can be used in a lot of different situations. He's not going to close. Uh, mm -hmm. And he can be deployed in a lot of different spots. And I think that's their plan. So you, you mentioned that just real quick. So Sir Anthony is still the guy who's probably going to see the bulk of the game finishing. Yeah, and if it's a if it's a patch in a ninth with a bunch of lefties in its hand, but okay. yeah, I, I my expectation is that Robertson acts as a de facto setup man. You know, maybe he's even used earlier if there's a spot where they really think uh, he can come in with guys on base or something. Uh, it's a good spot for him. But yeah, I, I see him pitching the seventh and eighth inning. Okay, excellent. Uh, just to button those two up real quick, uh, just to keep things uh, tidy from the roster side before we get into the Phillies' third and buzzer-beating move of yesterday in order to clear room on the roster because both of the prospects that were traded were non-40-man roster uh, players. Oduba Herrera and Jairus Familia 
were designated for assignment. They are still pending their assignment. Not necessarily sure which way they're going to go, but they're currently off the roster. They were two of the more maligned players for a variety of reasons on this team. So even before we get into, you know, adding a defensive upgrade in Marsh with potential upside and adding a really nice bullpen arm in David Robertson, the Phillies got better just by trimming the fat and getting rid of a couple of mistakes. Uh, is there any indication, Matt, on um, on the team side, what they're trying to do with these two? There's probably not much of a, well, they can't trade them now, but there's probably um, not much room for guys like this in the minors. I don't know if they would outright them. What's, what's the situation here? Yeah, I think both will become free agents and sign mm-hmm. minor league deals elsewhere. That's my expectation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know there, there's a thing about Herrera because he was previously outrighted that he can he can refuse the outright assignment. I would imagine and still get paid. Still, yeah, he can. Yeah, it's, it's about it's it's about right. It's not a, it's not even about being able to refuse the assignment. So he can refuse the assignment and still get paid. Exactly, exactly. So I would imagine I would imagine he'll be elsewhere regardless of what the official transaction is. Okay, so yeah, and and we're looking at right, and we we're evaluating the trades right. We look at what we evaluate it by looking at okay, what did they give up to, and what did they get. But you also the other part of the analysis is who who is that player that you acquired replacing on the roster? Yes, and, and, exactly. And the upgrade is, is quite obvious. I mean, they 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 took probably you know roster spots twenty four and or twenty five and twenty six on the roster and, and made them better. Uh, and and I think it was you know they addressed obvious holes and they subtracted two of the worst players in the roster, so they they got better. And continuing with that theme, I, I love that we can continue to think so positively about these moves because they really do look good on paper. Um, the last trade of the day, 10, 15 minutes before the deadline hit. Uh, and I think there is a little interesting context to that that I'm, I'm sure you can tell us about. Uh, another trade with the Angels as the Phillies picked up former Met great Noah Syndergaard in exchange for Mickey Moniak and Jadiel Sanchez, who is a switch hitting uh relief prospect down in the lower minors. Noah Syndergaard, of course, as many of you recognize, uh, spent five seasons, no, parts of six seasons, I should say, with the Mets. Uh, They were injury riddled. He spent a lot of time on the shelf, but when he was healthy, when he was pitching, he was one of the most electric arms in the game. He is not currently that guy anymore. He is not pitching quite the same way as injuries are wont to do to pitchers. He has uh, had to change his game a little bit. That is not to say that he isn't still effective, but he is now more of a mid-rotation kind of guy, at least the way he's been pitching so far this year. And that's okay, because like we were just talking about, the Phillies were looking to upgrade the the fifth starter shuffle that they were currently rolling with, with Bailey Falter and Chris Sanchez and uh, Nick Nelson, although under different circumstances last night. They've picked up a guy who, even if he's only going five innings a start, like we were also talking about earlier, the bullpen is now better behind him. And this is a guy who is is built for starting, and he can get through the, the lineup a couple of times. And in exchange, they ship out a guy who had completely fallen out of favor with the organization, who had no the fans here. Yeah, the fans the fans no longer cared about. Uh it was obvious that things just it, it, it was done. It, it was done. It's more writing on the wall. You know, that I guess that's one of the common themes here is that for different reasons, all of the guys who were shipped out, it really just seemed like it was time for them to go, whether positively or negatively connotated. Uh, Jadiel Sanchez is is an extra, you know, like I feel him. Like people yeah, do. I, I don't yeah, know too much I've about him. I've talked to people who like him. Um, he popped up 
uh, in, in instructs last year that the, the, the batted ball data was good. Like in some scouts, who saw him in instructs kind of put him down as a, as a, as a guy. Um, and there's not a lot of guys in terms of yeah. players in the Philly system. So this is a guy like he, he might be something, uh, but he's, he's very far off. And so now Noah Syndergaard, uh, what was the, what was the story behind uh, this deal happening so late when it seemed like the Phillies might be standing pat after the Martian Robertson deals? Sorry, they're rolling out the tarp here at Truist Park, which is really not what I want to see. Uh, <laughs> it's still, we still have an hour-ish before the game, so maybe it's, it's not a big deal. But uh, the Syndergaard thing, it was, uh, you know, they had wanted salary relief and better prospects. Uh, the Phillies said, sure, we'll, we'll give you one or the other. Uh, and I think that legitimately the Phillies uh, were, were, were pretty sure they were not going to get a starting pitcher. I think they thought that Syndergaard was going to go to the Blue Jays. Hmm. Uh, the Blue Jays thought they were going to get Syndergaard. They kind of pivoted at the last minute, too. They got Whit Merrifield, and I think that might have influenced some of this. Uh, but in the end, the Phillies gave them the Angels a salary of almost $8 million dollars. Uh, it's like seven and a half million dollars that's left on Syndergaard's contract. And and they still gave them like two, you know, uh, like okay-ish prospects. Like I would love to know like what the prospect asked was for from the Angels. I haven't found that out. Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing it was um, a, a pitcher, like not the top three pitchers, you know, not an uh-huh. able Gary or, or, or Painter kind of thing, but, uh, you know, maybe like an Eric Miller type. Uh, it's okay. speculation on my part, but I think the Phillies would rather have given up, you know, guys like Moniak and Jody L. Sanchez while taking on the money, which is a great way of wielding, you know, one of their resources. Uh, I mean, they should be, have always, have, we've always said like, why don't you just pay down the deals at the deadline and give up less prospects? And it's, uh, it goes two ways, you know, it's the trading team isn't always like, you know, Oh yeah, just take our money. We'll take the worst players. Like usually the trading team, uh, is happy to just assume the rest of the money and if they get better prospects back. In this case, the Angels were clearly trying to get all rid of money. I mean, they dumped Rysel Glacius' contract onto the Braves. They were happy to get rid of the $8 million owed to Syndergaard, uh, and the prospect package didn't have to be as good. So, look, I mean, Moniak, it's disappointing. I mean, he was the first overall yep. pick, and we've talked a lot about Mickey Moniak, and it is not worth – relitigating all of it now but it's still disappointing that in the end he ends up getting traded for a rental you know back of the rotation starting pitcher uh he's had to pay down the salary too in that contract (laughs) i mean not great it's not great and it it, it was clearly uh you know this was this was something that was going to happen and clearly had been trending this way for a long time and you can point to a lot of different things along the road that uh should have been handled better uh, with, with regards to Moniak on both sides, both him and the team. Um, you know, this isn't all on the team. I think some of it's on Mickey Moniak too. So I I don't know what his career, I don't know what the future holds for him. I, I do think he's a big league player, Paul. I don't know how you st- where you stand on that. I don't think he's a big league regular. Uh, I think at best he's a big league platoon player. At mm. worst, he's probably like a fifth outfielder. Uh, I, I think going to the Angels organization is not great for him. But, no. uh, you know. I don't know. He gets to play with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, right? And I mean, that's that's got to count for something. I I don't I don't really know much about you know Mike Trout's clubhouse leadership presence or, or things like that. I don't read too deeply into the the situation there, but it's got to 
something about him, Moniac, in this case, has to change. You know, he's he's probably not going to play a lot of center field, depending on what they plan with Trout, especially now in the wake of his back injury. I, I don't know what the situation is there, but at the very least, he can. The Angels, you know, like we've been talking about with the Phillies, they don't have the best track record of developing guys. Uh, you can't say that it's, you know, a rosy outlook for him out there. You figure he's going to play a lot, you know, regardless of whether it's just as a platoon guy on the strong side or what. But he'll get ABs, he'll get reps, he'll get looks because the Angels are out of it. They have nothing to lose. They probably want to see what they can do with him. That's fine. You know, do you know what's crazy? That? The 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 that draft, you know, that draft the Phillies picked first in every round of that draft, right? I mean, that was the mm-hmm. reward for uh, a terrible season, the beginning of the rebuild. So bad. It was, it was the first draft uh, of the of that new regime. It was Matt Clintax's mm. first draft, and now. From that draft, the 2016 draft, these are the players that are still in the organization from that draft. Oh, this is going to be good. Uh, 11th rounder, Josh Steven, who took a pitch to the face, a really terrible injury in spring training. Oh, I've heard about squad that. Game. Yeah. Uh, Rubio Armenta threw a pitch that hit him right in the face, and it was brutal. I mean, he, he <sighs> broke a lot of bones in his face. He, he uh, has not played the series out for the whole year. He was an 11th rounder, outfielder. A big, a big bonus, actually. Uh, Derek Hall. 14th rounder hmm. in the okay main, major leaguer uh jonathan hennigan a lefty reliever from the 21st round okay uh, trevor betancourt a right-handed reliever in the 25th round who missed about three years and just got back to double a as pitching and that's it uh <laughs> it's not good and now like you know they turn <laughs> moniac into bad. into uh syndergaard Kevin yeah. Gowdy was a second pick. They used him as part of the, the Kyle Gibson package last year. Jojo Romero, they turned him into Edmundo Sosa. Cole mm-hmm. Irvin, probably, the, you know, it will be, is the most productive player from that draft. They, they Yeah, go figure. A dollar for him, and he's, you know, had a nice little career here for the A's. That's it. That's yeah, cool. I know I know. there's still some some hope for the 2017 class. Um the one right after to pick up the the slack a little bit, but you you don't want to see that come out of uh, the first overall and first of every round kind of situation you're talking about. That's, that's bad. Cause that's only six years removed. You know, if you're picking, if you're picking prep guys or even three year uh, college guys, they're only into their mid late twenties by now, you know, that's, that's not enough time to have everybody be out of the organization in, I won't call it disgrace, at least universally. But that's that's a lot of missing. And, yeah, and Marsh. It's funny because Marsh was in that draft. Marsh was the yes, second he was. rounder. He went he went 60th overall. This the same round, 18 picks earlier. The Phillies took Gowdy uh, and paid him a huge bonus. And Gowdy, uh, I look don't look at his numbers. It's very bad. no, they're not good. They're not good. And they allocated a lot of bonus money for him too. Like that's that that one was kind of three and a half million. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> getting out of the the. The yeah, sorry, it didn't mean to. Yeah. No, that's okay. Um, just I guess one throwaway question here: Is there any early indication because Robertson and Syndergaard are both rentals? Is there any indication that there might be interest in extending them beyond this year at some point? They're just going to wait until free agency and see where the cards fall. Yeah, I think they'll wait. Robertson is his own agent. He was joking about that again today. He negotiated himself a hundred thousand dollar assignment bonus. So hey, he there you go, that. Dave. Got a hundred grand for being traded. Atta boy. Uh, <laughs> So he was pretty excited about that. Get that money. But, uh, <laughs> um, no, I, no indication of that. I mean, I think they'll let it play out. Um, 
you know, the Phillies are going to have two rotation spots, obviously, to fill this offseason. Uh, F1 and Gibson are free agents. Uh, and now Syndergaard will be a free agent. Uh, I think we'll just see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm intrigued, and I, I wrote about it, and I don't know that we ever really got a chance to talk about it. I was, like, kind of blown away, like, almost 10 days ago when Dave Dombrowski is essentially bumping up the timeline for their top pitching prospects and saying that they're in play in the majors for 2023. And I, I, it was the first time I had heard anyone acknowledge that or even allude to it. And I think it's a major storyline with regards to the, how this deadline played out. Like they weren't just hugging their prospects, which a lot of teams do. I think they were hugging them because they think they're going to be part of the big league pitcher next, next season. Like I really do. Interesting. So like we're talking about midsummer with the hope that high minors. No, we're talking goes about well. opening day. Whoa. Hang on. We're hang on. Opening hang on. Day, Paul. Yes. All, th- all three of the big three are in that. Not mix? all three. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying all three are going to open the season on the roster, but I think all three are in play. All three are going to be in big league spring training. And Dave Dombrowski has, he's done this. Like Rick Porcell, go back, you look. And I know there's some bad young, too. Right? Jeremy Bonderman. Rick Porcell oh, yeah. made his debut in the majors on an opening day roster uh, a year and a half after he was drafted as a 20-year-old pitcher. And that's yeah. exactly what Andy, pa- Andy Painter would be uh, next year. And I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not. But the fact that Dave has opened the door to this, I think uh, it's fascinating. And I think it's a way for them to try to weave, you know, they're trying to figure out how do we get the most out of this team while our core group of players are in their prime still. And I think part of it might be trying to push these pitching prospects if they're good enough to do it. Like, I would not be surprised if Andy Painter ends up making a start at AAA to end the season. The AAA season goes longer than the rest of the minor league affiliates. If you'll remember, it goes about three weeks longer now. They changed Hmm. it last year. So the other affiliates are done. I wouldn't be surprised if they just give him a taste there. I, I don't know, man. Like, I think he's kind of in play for next year. I think all three guys are. Uh, and, and, and that, to me, is why they did what they did in terms of not wanting to move those guys here uh, this summer is because they believe that those guys are contributors next year in the majors. Oh, that's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I always kind of figured that McGarry would be in that mix just as a college arm, you know, he's more advanced, he's older, he's, he's had, you know, more of a chance to face advanced competition and he was expected to be a fast mover anyway, but to hear that potentially Abel and Painter as recent prep draftees, Painter, especially because he's one year more recent, um, that's, that's very interesting to me. I never really thought about it from the perspective of 2023 impact from them directly because my mind was starting to drift to the point of, okay, they kept their top chips. They kept all three of them. They, they're, they were not traded. They didn't go for anybody. And there's still work to be done at the major league level, thinking ahead to the offseason when so many guys come off the books and other decisions need to be made and other potential major league pieces might be traded. I was starting to wonder what their role might be in the offseason. And mm-hmm. so it sounds early on, Like we can expect all three of them to continue to stay put, not be in the mix for any potential big trades because the organization feels like they are their own upgrade. Yeah. I mean, you can't rule anything out, but I think I'm looking at it, Paul, from the perspective that they have rotation spots to fill. It is Mm -hmm. expensive to acquire good mid rotation pitchers. It is. They're looking at it as what if we applied our own resources there and then use that money for somewhere else? i.e. shortstop. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that would be fantastic because I, I continue to try and talk myself down from, from Trey Turner because I love him. And we've talked about him a couple of weeks ago, at least briefly, how perfect he would be for this, even though he would be another $30 million player. Um, I, I will continue to keep my eyes peeled because I really think that there's a chance to, to make an impact move there, especially if Carlos Correa hits the market again. You know, there could be there could be a second option there. Dansby but Swanson. We'll, Dansby Swanson, I'm a little less bullish on him. He's having a nice year. Yeah, but year. I mean, he's, I, he's out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he's yeah. available. He would he's he's an upgrade. He's an, he's a nice player. Um, yeah. Okay. So we'll have to wait a little bit, I think, to dig more into that and see. So how we didn't get any. Out. We didn't get into Syndergaard at all here, but I think yeah, he's, <laughs> an, he's an upgrade. He's an upgrade. I think. Yeah, yeah. Getting, getting him out of Anaheim is going to be really, really good for him. Like, look, I mean, like we know this guy. He's Thor. He he's thrives. He's a big personality. He thrives in a big atmosphere. He's gonna get that in Philly. He's mm-hmm. gonna be in a pennant race. He's gonna get to face the Mets, which I'm sure is gonna you know be a big thing. That'll feel <laughs> like, good. That'll yeah. be a big thing. Yeah. And uh, the stuff is not what it was. I think it's pretty clear. And I think their plans for him are pretty clear. He's gonna be a five inning, maybe a six inning pitcher. And and that 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 trade you have to view it in conjunction with the Robertson acquisition. Uh, I, I think that's their way of improving the rotation was getting Syndergaard, but also improving the bullpen. That that helps the rotation. And sure, is this a guy who starts a game three for you in a postseason series? I don't know. Maybe, like maybe it's Ranger Suarez. Maybe it's Syndergaard. Maybe Syndergaard goes max effort one time through the order in a game three, and then they go to the bullpen. I don't know. Uh, so I, to to get, I want to get to the bigger picture a little bit and i the way i view all this paul is that this this these moves made the team better on the edges they didn't go out and get a big marquee talent mainly Uh because they didn't want to give up their marquee talents and that's fine i understand why they did what they did but everything now has to be focused on not just getting to the playoffs but getting the spot before the final two games of the season and why does that matter? It matters because if you get in and you have to use Nola and Wheeler on the final two days just to get in, this doesn't matter. Nothing matters. You're not going mm-hmm. to win a best of three series on the road without your two best guys because the schedule is important here. Okay. This is something yes. that really hasn't been talked about. The season ends on a Wednesday. That's game 162. The wild card round starts on Friday and it goes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There are no off days. No off days yeah. on the road. So if you use Aaron Nola in game 161, that's that Tuesday, he could pitch short rest in game two of the series, regular rest in game three. If you have to use one of them in game 162, he's on short rest in a game three, I guess. But like, because they're so top heavy and, 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 and I do like their chances in a short series only if Nolan Wheeler are pitching in games one and two. Absolutely. Everything, everything has to be focused on just getting that spot. They have 59 games left and 11 of them are against the Nationals. You know, Mm -hmm. this is about getting a better overall roster, a more well-rounded roster that can win, you know, that can, you know, you win the first two games of a series against a bad team and you go in there and you put the pedal to the metal and you win the third game of the series in in late August, okay? To -hmm. make sure that you have a spot locked up before game 161 like everything that is all that matters right now because if, if you've put a lot into this team and you want to get in that short series you better have your your top two guys in the first two games of that series 
So their mindset has to be now that this is this is not a 162 game season. This is a 160 game season. There are That's two games that have been lopped yeah. off. Yeah, okay. I think so. Right. I mean, isn't that fair? That sure sounds like it from the way I mean, I, I completely agree because they are top heavy. You can't really say, yes, I have the same confidence in Ranger Suarez, even though he is pitching better lately. I don't have the same confidence in Ranger Suarez to hold things down on the road to open up a playoff series than I would, you know, Aaron Nola or Zach Frickin Wheeler. It, it is a game changing configuration. I'm, you know, I, my mindset at the moment is, is, is present focused and thinking about what the team needs to do in, in the immediate term to stay ahead of St. Louis and, you know, St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous for us to say like, you know, they haven't made the playoffs in a decade. So like getting to the playoffs, well, be priority. it's like, <laughs> you can't be, you can't be greedy, yeah. but, but the, the, given what they've invested in this club now, both money and now prospect wise to get a couple rental guys, like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like you got to make sure that you can do everything you possibly can so that Wheeler and Noah are pitching at the beginning of that three game series. Because I mean, Paul, like they're going to be the sixth seed if they make the playoffs, most likely. Probably. And they're going to yep. face the winner of the Central. And I, you know what? They match up pretty damn good against the That's winnable. Whether That's it's absolutely the Brewers winnable, or the yes. Cardinals. And I know it's mm-hmm. hard because it's going to be three games on the road. I get that. But, damn, I mean, like, they match up pretty well if they have their guys in line. Worth paying attention to. I like it. We'll have to see how things unfold there. I, I guess lastly, just to, to talk about one more thing, just sort of uh, – uh, thinking about all of the new guys in the clubhouse mixing with the the current roster, I'm finding myself a, a little bit jealous of you because there's so much personality in that clubhouse that there was already. But now you're adding Noah Syndergaard to the mix when you already have, you know, Nick Castellanos, you have Bryce Harper, you have uh, uh, Kyle Schwerber, you have uh, Reese Hoskins, even if he's a little bit quieter, he's still very eloquent. There is, there is so much personality in that room now i don't necessarily see that as a problem i think there may be some people who might wring their hands a little bit and say oh that's that that's a lot of big personalities for one room how are they going to manage that what's rob thompson going to do i I don't get the feeling that you or any of the players certainly the players won't say so but i don't get the feeling that you're worried about any sort of chemistry or too many egos being in the room or anything like that no I'm not. I mean, like Kyle Schwarber, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Kyle Schwarber is like the leader in that clubhouse. And like, he's been pretty much since like the fourth week of the season. And it took him a little bit just to kind of, he, you know, get comfortable with himself. He signed late, but like he, he's, he's a leader in there. And like, he's, uh, he's really good at like meshing personalities, I think. And, you know, like are Wheeler and Syndergaard like best buddies from their time in New York. I, I don't think so. <laughs> um, very different mm-hmm. personalities. Uh, that doesn't mean that like they they are like gonna butt heads or not get along. No, I think they get along fine. They're just I don't know that they're best friends. So, uh, I know. I mean, Dave Robertson is like an ultimate clubhouse uniter as well. Like he's a yeah. pretty big personality, um, kind of a bouncing off the walls kind of guy. Uh, so, no, I, not at all. Like I think um, it'll be interesting when like Segura and Harper are back like in the mix in terms of you know, the, just like the feel for like the lineup and like how things are going to go every day. And I, I once again asked Rob Thompson uh, this morning, like what's going to happen at shortstop when Gene comes back and Segura will be active Thursday. Uh, nice. Cinder will make his debut Thursday too. Uh, so that'll be kind of a fun night at Susan Bank Park. But 
you know, Rob, once again, master deflector here is like, we're, we're still figuring it out. And like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I will also say that like, uh, Edmundo Sosa, uh, they, they really like him, like really like him and, and other teams really like him too. Uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox were in on Sosa. In fact, uh, and Dave alluded to this and I heard this is that like teams immediately called the Phillies once they traded for Sosa. Cause I think the fit wasn't obvious and they're like, Oh, are you trying to move him? Like, we'll take him. Uh, and so interesting. They, yeah. They we completely, up, I completely forgot about him. Yeah. You know, like they gave up. Yeah. I mean like they, they traded Romero who, uh, Jojo Romero, who I think is a usable, uh, bullpen piece in the big leagues. I think he's, uh, I don't know that he's a setup type. I think he's uh-huh. more a middle reliever, maybe a multi-inning reliever. I think he has a spot in a big league bullpen. Kind of curious to see how his stuff, you know, comes back a little bit uh, as he gets further from Tommy John surgery. But the price they gave up wasn't nothing. Uh, I think he's a, a usable big league lefty, and that reflects how they felt about Sosa. Uh, go look at Sosa's numbers from last year. Like he was like a two player. Yeah. I mean, he was he was kind of good, and like he just gives them another option this off season as they're again trying to figure out. I think his acquisition is less about now and more about 2023. Like trying to figure out you know, where pieces fit and everything. Like he is, you know, probably on the 2023 roster. I don't know that he's a, an everyday guy. They, some people in the organization think he might be. Uh, they really, again, there's, there's offensive upside there. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 they wanted to see, you know, what happens if they, if they give him, uh, if they get him here and, and maybe make a few tweaks with him again, I don't know. There's a lot of immediate playing time for him, but I think this is an acquisition that was made thinking about, you know, possibly next year. Interesting. All right. Well, that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, all right. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, we'll we'll start focusing back on the road ahead for the Phillies who finish up their uh, two-game road series with the Braves, hopefully bouncing back a bit from the uh, the bullpen game mess that was Tuesday night's 13-1 to loss. Spencer Strider is really you good. Know, yeah. Spencer yes. Strider is really good. I mean, he might be – I don't want to say. I mean, like, he's really good. He's really, really good. Just another one of those Braves factory guys that they just churn out immediately successful. I'm not jealous or bitter. Why would you think that? But anyway, this this short series finishes up, and then the Phillies go home to play the Nats for four games. The Nats, who are a, a withered husk of a team right now, uh, that's a that's a prime opportunity to rack up a few wins. Then the Miami Marlins. It's a division home series for the rest of the week before they travel to play the Mets for a big series. So we've got interesting things ahead. Um, we've got new imports, we've got new personalities, we've got, uh, farewells to some prospects and we have a, a deeper, more polished around the edges, 2022 Philadelphia Phillies team that, uh, is certainly no less of a wildcard contender than they were coming into the deadline and have probably set themselves up very nicely to continue this run on into September, especially as they get the likes of, you know, Segura this week, Bryce Harper in a few more weeks. Uh, and they really get back to full strength. It will really be interesting to see where this team goes and if they can hang in that race. I think they look pretty good right now, but the guys have to actually perform and play, and we'll see how it goes. So we'll call it there. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Thanks for hanging through with us on a a very busy deadline week and and the flurry of transactions. Deal and Dave at it again, setting the Phillies up for this run. Uh, My thanks, as always, Pride of Central Bucks West himself. Mr. Matt Kelly. Matt, thanks. Trader Dave or Dealing Dave? I like Trader Dave. I like Dealing Dave. I'm going with Dealing Dave. You like the alliteration? I like the alliteration. I'm a sucker for alliteration. Dealing Dave. 
Thanks, everybody.